Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Melissa, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I feel a little scatterbrained, but it's all good. Mostly just because the cabin I've been talking about, we close on it Friday and we decided to go ahead and list it on Airbnb and we have someone checking in Friday of closing day. That's so crazy. I feel like it really was crazy. I don't know what you were thinking, but yeah, it's going to be a lot. We'll see how it goes. I hope we get good reviews. I'm sure you will. But it's also crazy that tomorrow, so we're recording in August, the last day of August is today. And tomorrow, September 1st. And I just can't believe that like in the spring when COVID happened, we were talking about like how long we thought it would last. And now we're here. (laughs) It's insane. I can't believe it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's on one hand, it's been a very slow year. And on the other hand, it's flown by. Yeah. It's been crazy. Now that you say it, I'm like, the desktop on my computer says May. It's like a calendar. <laughs> I looked behind me to see what the calendar behind me says, but it does say August. So I'm okay right now. I have to change it. You're, you're doing well. <laughs> it's so confusing. That's funny. Well, today we are going to kind of walk you through a self-led deliverability audit because these are things that I think a lot of people request. Obviously, it's not going to be the full experience that you would have with a deliverability expert looking at your data, but we can at least let you know the way that we approach them. Uh, And if you are a ConvertKit customer that's on the Creator Pro plan, you can actually get a complimentary deliverability audit by Melissa and myself. So go ahead and reach out to us if that's you and you haven't had an audit yet. We'd be happy to do that. And if you're not a ConvertKit Creator Pro person, then hopefully this podcast episode will help you run through and audit yourself or at least find a professional that can help you. Yeah. And also it's helpful too, if you do, um, even if you're just a ConvertKit customer or if you do reach out to us just asking for advice, if you go through one of these audits yourself and you have the information, it helps us, you know, we're able to just look at what you've provided and sort of maybe pinpoint you in the next direction to look at or whatever. So if you do a self-led audit, don't think that it won't be helpful in some way, like if you reach out to us too. Yeah, exactly. So the first thing we do in an audit uh, and the first thing you should kind of ask yourself is what is your goal? What's your current concern? Because we see audits get requested for so many different reasons. Some people are having huge issues and they need immediate help. Some people have great open rates and they just want extra eyes on what they're doing and to see if they can improve even a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's just as simple as like, maybe you have a test email to your own list and you received a broadcast or a message and it went into your spam folder and that kind of stresses you out instantly, um, which is understandable. Then, you know, maybe that's a reason you want to just run through a quick self audit. Yeah, exactly. And I think some people, you know, maybe they have consistently really low open rates and they want help to improve those. And then for some people, they see a sudden drop in open rates 
And they also are like, what is going on? I need someone to help. So those are kind of slightly different scenarios. So it's good to know coming into the situation, maybe write it down on your notes. What is your goal here? Um, Have you seen any drops in open rates or click rates? Are people telling you your messages are going to spam? Or are you pretty much doing just fine and you just want to kind of have a little checkup? So the kind of other first thing Melissa and I always do whenever someone reaches out about deliverability, just to get a feel for what's happening, is we send ourselves some emails. And we have some test addresses. We have one at Gmail, one at Hotmail, and one at Yahoo. So we will often send ourselves the emails at those test addresses. And of course, those aren't going to tell us what every single subscriber will experience, but it is just like a nice little baseline check because if Gmail is sending all of your emails to the spam folder, then we're gonna get that email in the spam folder at that test email address, for example. And we can go ahead and see right there uh, in the spam folder, what is the banner message at the top of that email? What is Gmail telling us? and all sorts of good information. Yeah, it's really helpful to um, start with, you know, I always look at an account. I kind of go through and look at all of the different aspects of specifically a ConvertKit account and someone like, you know, maybe they're just generally like their opens, their complaint subscribers. Just I just kind of go through and I don't look at like specifics necessarily for any of these metrics. I just do like a very, very quick overview. And after I send that test um, email, it's really helpful in pinpointing where I need to look next. It's almost like a puzzle when we talk about this, um, you know, in a bunch of different episodes, but it's like figuring out like breadcrumbs and where those lead and the next, you know, the next place to look uh, because they all kind of work together. Every metric works together to help you sort of figure out why things are happening in your account, what's going on. But I think that's why having a deliverability team at your, you know, whatever platform you're using is helpful because sometimes they know things that you may not be able to figure out on your own right away. When you know how to do a self audit, like we said before, like those little things in conjunction with your open rates and your click rates, like that will help you pinpoint if there's something major going on in your account pretty quickly, which is really helpful. Yeah, exactly. And along with what we were saying about everyone having different goals when coming into audits, everyone's going to have very different experiences too. So that first initial test email we're talking about, it might immediately tell you you're failing DMARC and then you can fix that. And like we've said in other episodes, that's kind of great because you just flip a switch and boom, your messages are probably going to the inbox for the most part Mm -hmm. and you're seeing great results. Um, But for some people, there won't ever be kind of this big light bulb. This one thing is causing you all these troubles. You just need to fix that one thing. It'll be a bunch of little, little, little factors that have resulted in damage to your sender reputation over time. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's just not as fun <laughs> to fix right. because it is going to take a lot of just reputation repair, which we'll talk about. But that is just another good thing to know going into it. You might have a big aha moment like, oh, wow, I have list bombing happening or I have authentication failing. I can fix that and be on my way. Or it might just be, yeah, a lot of little tweaks that need to happen. Yeah, the test test email initially Um, is always like my favorite part of doing any kind of audit because (laughs) I am always looking for like those, you know, big things that are easy to fix. And then when it's not, it's 
like I said, it's kind of like a puzzle. And obviously I shouldn't say it's fun when someone has a deliverability issue. That's not what I, that's not what I mean, but I just like people help, you know, I like helping people solve those problems. Yeah. It's fun finding the solution to their right. issue. That's great. Um, so next, typically if we're doing like a full audit for a customer, like I mentioned, we do for creator pro accounts, we will often run a full inbox placement test just for some more data points. And we have a whole episode on inbox placement tests where we dive into kind of the pros and cons there. They aren't 100% accurate. We talked about seed list addresses, but again, it is just kind of a nice data point to add to your toolbox when there's not a whole lot of data sometimes in deliverability. So those kind of tests will show us for our test addresses that we imported into the account and sent to, where did Gmail place the message? Where did Hotmail place the message? Where did Yahoo place the message? Where did Apple place the message? It kind of goes through all the different mailbox providers that we sent to and gives insight into whether the messages went to the inbox, spam folder, or didn't arrive at all. And sometimes those tests can uncover things that we just wouldn't have seen otherwise. And then sometimes, you know, someone is like, my open rates dropped, you know, they're down to 10%. And we run those tests and it says perfect inbox placement. So they're not always um, insightful necessarily, but they can be. Yeah. Just knowing how to use the information that they um, end up showing you to, again, find those breadcrumbs because it's not going to just always be obvious, um, even if they say, okay, so your messages at Gmail specifically are going to spam. Obviously, that's not always going to be like, oh, well, then I need to do X, Y, Z. Sometimes it takes a little bit of trial and error to figure out why and what needs to be fixed first. Yeah. And the great thing about those inbox placement tests is that we can typically see the message headers for all of those test emails we sent. So if the inbox placement test shows us that Hotmail sent all of your messages to the spam folder, we can click on one of the test addresses and click to see the full headers. And then maybe we'll see something in there that tells us why it went to spam So Microsoft Office 365, um, they have some kind of scoring that they will show in the header. There is a BCL and an SCL. BCL stands for bulk complaint level. SCL stands for spam confidence level. The BCL is kind of rating the IP address that you used to see how spammy it is. So a low BCL is good. And that means your ESP or whatever IP address you're using is healthy. But the SCL is kind of like how much they thought it was spam based on your content or your sender reputation. So if you have a high SCL, that tells us Hotmail thinks your content is spam or they don't like your sender reputation. So that's just an example of another data point I've been able to get from those inbox placement tests. If you aren't a Creator Pro ConvertKit account, you might run an inbox placement test through Glock apps. Seems to be one of the most just popular and I think low cost ways to do that. I would highly recommend listening to our inbox placement test episode because we do highlight some things that will help you understand the results that you get and to not panic because those tests can cause a lot of panic for people when it really shouldn't and it'll lead you down the wrong path. So just make sure that if you do run your own inbox placement test that you go listen to our episode to make sure you're able to just take the right action. Yeah, that's like something that I've noticed too is when people get kind of initially stressed out about 
whether it's a placement test or some other metric, um, sometimes they tend to overcorrect and that can honestly just cause even more deliverability issues. Like when you start removing things or adding things or <laughs> I just I see that happen from time to time and it just causes more difficulty in finding what the actual issue is. Mm -hmm. So I think my favorite analogy about deliverability is the credit score analogy because it's you can do something very small and it can really affect the outcome. And then when you do all of the right things, it takes a really long time to build that back up again. And unfortunately, that's frustrating, but that's just kind of how deliverability works. So it's best to not take any like immediate crazy action that will even, you know, more so ding your reputation. Yep. That's such a good point. That's why I do recommend if you're not super familiar with just deliverability and, you know, we can only help so much over this podcast without seeing your data. I've said before, if you're a ConvertKit customer, reach out through support. But if you're not, even feel free to contact us through our form and at least tell us kind of like what you found and what you've done so far. And we'd be happy to take a look and see if we can help. Yeah. So another thing we do that I think a lot of senders don't do, but I find it to be so, so helpful is looking through your complained subscribers and going through them and trying to understand what happened. Of course, it's normal for some people to mark your message as spam. That's going to happen. But it's still really helpful to go through those and try and act like you are the subscriber, put yourself in their shoes and it can uncover some problems that are happening. So as we've talked about before, if you see someone has complained about the very first email you send them, they probably did not sign up for your list. So they either came in through a form uh, and you have a list bombing problem. We have a whole episode on that. Or the way that you collected that subscriber is not a good method. So maybe it was one of those, you know, put in your email address to get free Wi-Fi at my coffee shop kind of deals that doesn't go well. Maybe you got that list through a giveaway and those people signed up through one of your partners, but you ended up getting the email list afterwards. There are all sorts of ways you can collect email addresses that just don't work well. So make sure you pay close attention to your complaint subscribers um, to help you understand what could be going wrong. Yeah. And I think that people who are newer to email marketing get a little confused sometimes because with ConvertKit specifically, we kind of preach, you know, clean out your cold subscribers and get rid of those people because um, you don't want that to hurt your your overall sending reputation. But when it comes to complained subscribers, those are a metric you want to keep around. You don't want to delete those people. You want to make sure that you have that data point to go back and look at later so that if you do have issues, you know, that you've noticed in your account, you are able to go back and look at those people for exactly what Alyssa's talking about, which would be like list bombing or, you know, something like maybe I, one the other day actually that happened that was kind of a different scenario was um, you noticed that there was emails being sent multiple times a day to a subscriber and that customer just didn't realize that people were being tagged um, kind of incorrectly and they were being sent like two emails a day. So there's stuff like that that's it's helpful to keep those complaining subscribers around because there are other ways other than list bombing that maybe they marked your emails as um, spam. Yes, that's such a good point. I feel like we see it pretty often that someone will reach out about a deliverability problem and we want to help them, but that big data point is missing because they deleted their subscribers from their account that had complained. And it really is a bummer because there's probably something we could have learned from those. So yeah, if you're using an ESP 
pretty much every ESP is going to make sure your complained subscribers are not active and that they shouldn't count towards your bill. I don't know about MailChimp. I know they changed their billing and I think anyone who's ever been on your list counts towards your bill now, but you'll have to check that. At least at ConvertKit, we can say for sure you're not charged for complaint subscribers and they won't be able to receive emails. So keeping the data in your account is just a plus for you because you can use that data. Right. Great point. So uh, another thing we do that you probably cannot do on your own sort of depends on your situation and what software you have access to. But whenever I'm doing a an audit for someone, I check their spam trap hits to see how many spam traps they've hit, um, look for any trends there. And that can really help us see if they need to be cleaning out their list more aggressively. I personally do that through 250OK, which is a tool that they have their own spam trap networks and data. We have a whole episode on spam traps. <laughs> I love the way we've sequenced all of our episodes. So now we can just refer back to other episodes. But um, so I highly recommend listening to that if you don't know what a spam trap is. But the gist is that we don't know which email address is a spam trap. And that's on purpose. If we did know, they wouldn't work properly. So all I can see through that tool is just the number of traps you've hit and whether they were a pristine trap, a typo trap, or a recycled trap, which tells us more about the actual root issue that you're having. So in order for you to get that information on your own, you would also need to use a tool like 250OK. There's lots of them out there, but they can be pretty pricey. So usually it's your ESP who uses those kinds of tools. Or maybe if you're a super, super large sender with millions of subscribers, you might have those on your own. But yeah, that might be something that you would have to rely on your ESP or a deliverability consultant to get. Helpful, helpful metric. Yeah, definitely. I think so. It helps paint a nice picture. And especially for senders who don't really want to clean up their list, I love to show them that graph of spam trap hits. And I'm like, see all these email addresses? They are trying to catch bad senders and they're on your list right now. So you do need to clean up your list. Yeah, that's a question that I've uh, received a few times about, um, can you tell what emails on my list are spam traps? And like Alyssa said, we can't we wouldn't know that they wouldn't work properly if we did. And that's why my number one, I think it was a while ago when you asked what my number one like deliverability tip is and it's clean your list. So that just takes care of a whole slew of problems. It really, really does. And I know a lot of people hate cutting down their numbers, but if those numbers sitting there are just dragging your reputation down or their spam trap, you Mm -hmm. know, addresses and they're going to make you end up getting block listed or all sorts of other things, then the numbers are not helpful. Not helpful and They're just going to prevent the people who really do want to receive your emails from probably getting those in their primary inbox. Amen. Wow. Bringing the heat again. Did you have another (laughs) pumpkin spice latte? (laughs) No, I'm trying to not go to Starbucks as much these days because we bought a house and, you know, I'm just trying to be responsible. So today I had just plain old coffee. Hmm. That's okay, though. I still treat myself. (laughs) That's good. You deserve it. I tell myself I deserve it. Yeah, you do. That's what I tell myself all the time. Today, yeah. I just ran an errand and I was like, oh, I deserve a latte because I <laughs> I ran an errand oh, so hard. Keeps the adulting a little less boring. Yeah, honestly, I think that's the secret to doing things you don't really like to do is just treat yourself constantly. Yeah. So when you go to clean your list, go grab yourself <laughs> oh a gosh. Starbucks and clean your list. That is the best idea I've ever heard. Or like, you know, grab some wine, yeah. get a margarita, do make whatever it, you like Make to it do. fun. 
Yeah. And it won't hurt Ooh. so bad when you delete those people. Should have list cleaning parties or something. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's actually, we're onto something. Wow. Okay. We will put that in the parking lot, talk about it later, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next thing that we do that also, I mean, you can do this on your own. I'll just dive more into it. So for creator pro accounts that we are doing deliverability audits for, we also run their list through a validation tool. We do have another episode on this with Lauren Meyer from Kickbox. Uh, and we talk about what list validation is and how it works and what it can do, what it can't do. Um, but this essentially just takes the your list of subscribers and pulls out anyone who is invalid or risky. And the way that Kickbox identifies people as risky is um, things like role addresses, which are like info at, sales at. Those aren't always bad, obviously, but they can be. So they just kind of put them in a little bucket for you to look at and decide what you want to do with them. So that's one thing that has been really helpful. If you are not a ConvertKit Creator Pro account, you can use, there are lots of list validation services out there like Kickbox. You can use that on your own and you essentially just upload your list to that service and they run it for you. And then usually you can export a CSV and it will label all of your subscribers that you imported as either, you know, valid, invalid, or risky. And they usually have more details too. Um, So another thing that you kind of mentioned earlier, Melissa, is that we will take a look at the volume and frequency of your sins, which I have seen come up more and more. Um, Ooh, I just had some thunder in the background. Ooh, that was loud. Yeah, it was. Wow. That was exciting. I know. Wow. Okay. There might be a little storm outside. We'll see how that goes. But um, this does get surfaced a lot by looking at complained subscribers. But I have seen a lot more people lately that are emailing people either every day or multiple times a day, and they don't know that they're doing it because they've kind of lost track of their tags and automations and things like that. Yeah, I hate when this comes up because oftentimes I try to go into a deliverability issues with some kind of mindset of like, okay, proactively, like it might not just be the customer who is doing something wrong. You know, there are things like obviously list bombing is directly contributed to not having like an opt-in, a double opt-in on your form or something, which that is in the sender's control, but oftentimes kind of goes like overlooked. Like it's not something that's super important. And I don't, I totally don't blame people at all for not thinking about that sometimes. Um, But when it comes to like the frequency, I, I have a hard time telling customers like, hey, Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but you're emailing people four times a day. Like it's definitely like a harder thing to kind of like bring up to people because number one, they don't always realize they're doing it. And number two, I do think that it can sometimes be related to like their marketing. What's the word I'm trying to think of? Strategy. Strategy. Yes, that's the word. And so it's, you know, it's kind of hard to be like, hey, you need to slow your roll on your sending. But I mean, it's a huge part of what can affect someone's reputation. Yeah, I love that point. I think something we've mentioned before, but I think most people want their deliverability issue to be strictly technical. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, that's And just I wish not, it was that way too. Yeah, of course. Because then we could have, you know, zero motion. You need to fix this and this and this technical thing and then boom, you're done. But that's just not the way it is. And um, a lot of deliverability is marketing and, you know, vice versa. So, your sender reputation and your inbox placement is going to depend very heavily on your skill and ability as a marketer to reach your audience. 
this is, yeah, this is definitely one where marketing overlaps with deliverability a lot. And you do kind of need to listen to the deliverability expert telling you to modify your marketing strategy. And we know that can get kind of emotional because you might feel like that's your domain and you have your strategy set that way for a reason. But as the deliverability professionals, we are coming with the knowledge of what mailbox providers like what they want to see, what they don't want to see. And if your marketing strategy is getting in the way of that, then we're going to have to tell you and give you advice. So I would recommend pretty regularly, again, with complained subscribers and also maybe your cold or unengaged subscribers, go through and look at the emails you've been sending them. And again, try and like understand the story of what's going on there. And if you see that you're sending people daily emails where it might not make sense or, you know, multiple emails a day, you should definitely slow down, especially to your people who are unengaged. You can get targeted. If you have your um, really engaged kind of core subscribers that love your emails and they open them all the time, sure, maybe you can email them daily or multiple times a day, but you should make sure to start backing off when people become unengaged because if not, you're sending tons of negative signals to mailbox providers by continually emailing those unengaged subscribers multiple times a day or daily. Right. That's a hard line to walk. I tell people all the time too, like there, there just like really isn't a magic number, um, especially depending on like your audience and what your content is all about. But even though like I do enjoy getting content from certain people, I definitely think burnout is a real thing as a subscriber. And you don't want to make people feel like they have to unsubscribe because they are just receiving too much mail, even though they do like your content. Right. I feel like I have to do that all the time. And it does make me sad because sometimes I do want to get some stuff from the person, but I just, I mean, yeah, my inbox is a very full place and it kind of, I mentioned this in the kickbox blog post recently I contributed to, but it feels like a to-do list, you know, your inbox does. And whenever people are emailing you constantly, it feels like they're adding to your to-do list. They're kind of adding weight on your shoulders and some people just are going to get tired of that. Right. So kind of back to what we had talked about before, authentication. This is a fun one because sometimes, um, for example, if you have a DMARC record on your domain um, and your messages are getting sent to spam, that can be a really easy fix. And that's always fun for us because we can usually just say, you know, at ConvertKit specifically, just add a verified sending domain and you're good to go. Normally, there's not really a whole lot of issues after that. But something that I also kind of forget to tell people or talk about is um, when we talk about the content in your email and making sure that there aren't things in there that could send your emails to spam, it a lot of times isn't just about like keywords. And, you know, a lot of people still think like if I use the word free or, you know, there's a whole slew of words that will my email go to spam, but it's actually like the links in your content that can cause your emails to go to spam because, and Alyssa has taught me a lot about this, um, those links have their own domain reputation and they can send your emails to spam. And this one's a little bit trickier, I think, to catch um, because it's not something that people think of, you know, normally right away. Yep. That's such a good point. There's so many different pieces of reputation in your email. And that's definitely one uh, thing in the content that could cause messages to go to spam. Another thing we look at with content is like text to image ratio, Uh, There isn't a magic number there necessarily, but you definitely don't want to have your content be just one big image. That looks really spammy. And you want to at least have enough text so that if your images didn't load in your email, you could still understand the email. 
And if you do just a text-only email, you also want to have enough content. Sometimes having text-only and not putting very much text looks spammy. So um, one thing, Melissa, you mentioned earlier about testing with the word test. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see this so often and it just kind of – I mean, you brought up a good point about using an example of an experiment and having being able to get accurate data. Right. So like I know I took some science classes in college that was fun and we learned about, you know, running good experiments and having Mm -hmm. good data. And think about that when you're doing kind of like testing your deliverability in some way. If you're testing your deliverability and you send an email you know, while testing and it just says test and that's it. That's the text. You can't say that that's an accurate representation of your deliverability just because that's not what you're actually going to send people. So whenever you're testing, try and actually put in the content that you are expecting to send, make it look as real as possible when you send yourself a test in order to get the best data that you can. Right. Um, some other things about content. Let's see. Uh, we always, you know, we'll say you should have a clear call to action. I know for some emails that might not necessarily make sense, like a newsletter. That makes sense. People are expecting to see a lot of different kind of links and articles and things like that. But for most emails, a clear call to action is important because like we mentioned, people are busy. Your email is taking up space in their day and their to-do list. And it needs to be really clear what you're emailing them about and what you want them to do. Otherwise, they're probably not going to read through a mountain of text, scroll forever to find whatever link you're wanting them to click. I see this happen sometimes in incentive emails. And then people get frustrated because they feel like they have a lot of unconfirmed subscribers. But a lot of times, um, it's obvious to you as the sender that clicking a button in the incentive email is what gets that person on your list. But when people are busy and distracted... And they don't always go sign up for your list and go straight to their inbox to open that incentive email. Again, you have to put yourself in the subscriber's shoes and like what their day-to-day consists of. And I've actually noticed this, I wouldn't say more frequently, but I have noticed that people expect others to kind of understand their incentive email. And oftentimes when I go look at it, it doesn't seem very clear to me. And also putting a ton of text in your incentive email is kind of distracting. So I do think that that has uh, a pretty big effect on when people subscribe to your list and confirm their subscription. It's something to think about. Definitely. That's such a good one. And if you're unsure what an incentive email is, I know at ConvertKit, we use that a lot, but it's, um, you know, when someone signs up for your email and typically you would send them an email that's like, confirm your subscription. But sometimes people, instead of having a general, like, just click here to confirm you want to be on my list, they'll say, you know, here's the PDF you asked for. And they will require that someone clicks that button in order to be on their list. But sometimes that's just not super clear that that's what you need to do to stay on the list. So yeah, make sure that content's really clear and you are explaining what people need to do and what you're wanting them to do. And that's kind of a good segue into, um, which we kind of already mentioned um, list bombing earlier, but using a double opt-in is something that we at ConvertKit really encourage people to do because it helps keep your list clean. It helps keep people on your list who actually want to be there. And that way you don't have a lot of unengaged subscribers who maybe they clicked on you know your form to sign up and they actually didn't really want to and now they're unengaged or the other option, which is like list bombing. 
Yeah, exactly. I think list bombing is one of those things that people don't realize how impactful it's going to be until it happens to them. And Absolutely. so they kind of put off, you know, doing all the recommendations that the experts say because they, they're just like, it can't be that bad, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, there's one person in particular, one sender I did an audit for that sticks out to me as a really good example of what can happen with list bombing because they're an awesome brand. They have a lot of subscribers and they were seeing all their emails suddenly go to spam at Gmail. And that was the biggest chunk of their audience. So this was a huge issue. And after diving in and looking through their list, I saw a lot of signs of list bombing. It was for sure happening. So I helped them clean those up, but then you know their reputation was already damaged. At Gmail, their domain reputation was low, I think. There is a bad rating, which is even worse than low. It was either bad or low, but um, they ended up having to essentially stop sending to anyone who hadn't opened an email in like 30 days or something just to really get their reputation back to healthy. And it did. Um, After doing that and only sending to engaged people for a while, their reputation went back to normal and they're totally fine now. But that, I mean... That was a good Mm -hmm. chunk of time where they couldn't reach out to most of their list. And for a lot of businesses, they would freak out if they had to do that or, you know, say they can't afford to do that. And that goes back to the whole credit score thing. Like that's one of those situations that definitely takes persistence, time. And, you know, as a sender, you have to really pay attention to that kind of thing. It's a little bit more involved as like a fix to a deliverability problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a whole episode on list bombing, but List bombing is also one of those things that's kind of hard to explain to customers sometimes because I think a lot of people assume that when you have a deliverability issue, like you do something and the result is instant in your reputation. And with list bombing, you know, for example, Gmail kind of gives you that like grace period of time where maybe you're sending to unengaged subscribers, but they're not going to necessarily like ding your reputation the next day. So we say about 180 days is the the window of time until Gmail starts to, you know, mark your reputation as suspicious because you have been emailing this large group of unengaged subscribers. But yeah, so the 180 days is something that I think people like have a hard time kind of understanding. So they'll be like, well, if this is an issue in my account, then why did it all of a sudden just start happening if it's been going on for a while? And that's something that's kind of hard to like explain. Oh, I love that one so much. Yeah. It is hard to like, maybe we need to come up with a good graphic or something to help people conceptualize it. But it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you have let your subscribers slowly become, you know, unengaged over time and you haven't changed anything, but you've hit some sort of limit with Gmail or whatever mailbox provider. And as soon as that limit is hit and they're like, okay, we're done with this person, Mm -hmm. then you might see the sudden drop in opens or whatever it may be. And yeah, a lot of senders are like, but I haven't changed anything. Why is this happening so suddenly? It's like, that's exactly the point. You haven't done, you haven't done anything. You haven't cleaned your list. Um, right. You're still emailing these people who are unengaged. So that's what happened. Yeah. Good point. Well, I would say those are the most, you know, the highest level things we cover in an audit when we are really, really diving into someone's account for whatever reason they have, whether it's they have a big issue and they need us to fix it or help them fix it, really the power is in their mm-hmm. hands. Or, you know, they have 20 or 30% open rate and they're just, you know, wanting to know how to even get better, which does remind me of one final point I want to make. I don't know if we've made it yet on the podcast, but I do th- think we've said this every now and then. Out of all of this, remember that the people on the other end are 
human beings. And we can't expect them to act like robots and to always act the exact same way all the time. I recently worked with someone who typically has like 55% open rates and they dropped to, I think, 45 or something. So of course, you know, the 10% open rate drop seemed scary to them, Mm -hmm. which I totally get, but also 45% open rate is extremely high. If you're seeing big problems with spam filtering, you're going to see your open rates drop a lot lower than that. And it was right as like school started to kind of go back and whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. kids are still at home, but school's back and we're still in a pandemic and the election season in the U.S. is in full swing. And I'm just like, just because those people, 55% of those people opened a month Mm -hmm. ago, their lives might look a lot different right now. So 10% of people dropping off is not surprising to me necessarily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we should all be looking at the full, full picture. Right. Especially if all those metrics are looking good and you run some tests and everything looks okay. Um, It's a hard thing to point to because it doesn't feel, it feels out of our control. It feels like we can't do anything about it, which is the truth. But it is, I mean, it's so common. I even think about myself, you know, I just, we just bought a house and we're trying to save money and I love shopping. And, you know, if I get a good deal in in an email from, I love DSW shoes, I'll open the email, but it's very dependent on what's going on in my own life. And if I'm not actively shopping or, I mean, this happens all the time where I notice that some of their messages will start going to spam more often and not in my primary inbox. And it's because it's all cyclical in my life. You know, if I just got paid or if, Mm -hmm. you know, it just depends. And it's very dependent on my consumer behavior. Right. And so I just want to, I love that, like really drive that point home that I think we all log into our ESPs, whether it's ConvertKit or someone else, and we see those numbers and we see the metrics and we are just as humans, we like want to think about the numbers and uh, make them higher or make sure they don't drop and all of these Mm -hmm. things. And we just, we do forget sometimes that deliverability has a lot of technical aspects to it, but it's also extremely human. There are humans at the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, So just keep that in mind. If you see any changes in your metrics or open rates, give your subscribers some grace. They are just like you, you know, going through a pandemic and lots of other issues probably. So there are a whole lot of reasons why somebody might start to become unengaged and try and pivot, try and think about how you can serve them by maybe Mm -hmm. sending to them less frequently or asking them what they need from you right now. Right. This is the best time to pivot. And um, exactly. Yeah. Just think about your subscribers as actual humans. Great point. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I think this was really good. It was really fun for me to look at our audit process from a high level. And I Mm -hmm. hope it was helpful to you if you want to run through some of these things in your account. And again, feel free to reach out to us if you want some extra eyes on what you're seeing and you can do that at convertkit.com slash deliverability. Yeah. And if you do this and you end up really liking the self audit process, if you find that it helps you, we would love to hear about that. Um, because we always like to know if we're helping people because that is our goal. Yeah, I know it's lame, but I like, I refresh our reviews every day just because it's, it's a nice, um, boost in morale and helps us get really excited to make these episodes every week. So if we have helped you in some way, feel free to go leave us a five-star review and tell us about it there and it'll just make our day. Yeah, definitely. And also um, 
I would love to just know if people have any podcast idea or topic ideas for us, because I think we still have a lot of things we could cover. There, There's just a, an endless amount of information that we could talk about, but it'd be really fun to know if there's something that you specifically feel like you need help with or um, just want to hear someone talk about deliverability topics. I mean, yeah, that'd be fun for us. I agree. And we actually do take those recommendations if you all give them to us. I know somebody recently asked us to cover what to do if you've been spoofed. So we have that on the schedule. We're going to, you know, record that episode September 30th. And if you have something you want us to talk about, we will put it on our schedule. So please reach out to us through that form I mentioned earlier. I hope you all have a great rest of your week. All right. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.